Man, uh, uh, we've been in a teaching series uh, out of First Peter called The Good Life. Uh, Peter is going to challenge a group of Christians to live the way God has called them despite the pressures of the world around him. And uh, today we're going to be in uh, chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. So let's read it together and then uh, dive, in, uh, dive in and we'll, uh, we'll spend some time digging through it. All right, First Peter chapter 1, verse 13. If you'd like to follow along, uh, it'll also be on the screen. Peter says, so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your, your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then, but now you must be holy in everything you do. Just as God who chose you is holy, for the scripture says you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorite. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was paid not with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now, in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. Amen. The word of God, right? Man, there's so much here. There's, there's a ton that I want to dig into. Peter again uh, calls his readers. He's sending this, this general letter out to groups of Christians living in the world. He calls them foreigners in the land, but they haven't moved. Uh, they, don't, they don't have U-Hauls parked in their driveways. Uh, they don't have uh, empty cardboard boxes. He calls them foreigners, but, but they're, they're still living in the same communities they've always lived in. They haven't changed the address, but they have been changed. And Peter contrasts and, and highlights, like, like what, he's, what he's bringing out of this is a, a way of living with the new life they have found in Jesus Christ. What changes is not their address, what changes their heart. He says, once you live to satisfy your own desires, he points to the past. He says, you know, I know that where you came from, you used to satisfy your own desires. He says, you used to live an empty life. And he said, you didn't know any better then, but you know better now. And he says, live out your new life. There's a whole new life that comes as being uh, uh, God's obedient children is what he says. He says, satisfy your namesake. You, you have a new life, a new identity as God's children. He calls them to be holy, which is, means alien, which means completely different. There was one way of living, and now because of God, because of your belief in Christ, you have entered into a whole new life with a completely different sy system of, of values, and this life no longer matches your old life. 
And there's a lot here in this text that I, that I love and would want to spend time with, but really verse 13 is, is, is where, man, I've just been drawn to this verse. The very first thing he says to them, he says, he says so prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. All right, so that's a translation of a translation, and, and, and literally what it says, the literal translation is, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober-minded. So now we're all thankful for the translation, right? Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Anyone have any clue what that means? All right, so I'm going to try to explain. I, I had to look it up. It's been a while since I've girded up my loins. Why does it sound dirty? For I don't know why. Like Amy was like, you're talking about girding loins? I was like, I know, I know. That's what Scripture says. Peter, the first thing he tells them. Gird up the loins of your mind. And so, all right, so the best way I can explain this is if you could imagine in, in uh, uh, Peter's day and age, men wore long flowing robes, right? We, we got this. You have this picture in your mind already. And so, like, I don't know, bathrobe that it goes all the way down to their ankles. And the thing about your, your long bathrobe is that it's, it's, it, it's great for kind of walking and kind of sauntering around. But if you, if you need to go somewhere quickly, this is not going to work for you. Or if you've got some, uh, imagine you've got some heavy lifting to do. Maybe, ladies, you can relate to some of this. Like, um, my guess is, like, how do you squat down and, and do work with this long robe all the way around your feet and ankles. And so what the men would do is they would pull up from the back, kind of between their legs, they would pull their, their bathrobe up, right? Pull it up above their knees, and, and sometimes they would wear a big wide belt. And they would take the, the hem of their robe, and, and they would shove it in their belt. So they made like uh, a scorts or something. I don't, I don't, you know, like it was, some of you know what that is. That's funny. Um, uh, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? But now, now they have freedom of movement in their legs. They can, they could run or, or do heavy lifting. And if you saw a man coming towards you who had girded up his loins, I know it still sounds weird. Uh, you knew this is a guy who is about to get to work, right? So, so if you're lined up with the military, if you're lined up with the army, nobody would have their, the hem of their robe down here. Everybody would have it pulled up and tucked in, ready to go to work. Maybe a, a, another translation for us today might be, uh, or another expression would be to roll up your sleeves. Does that make sense to you? Man, when you roll up your sleeves, that means you're, you're getting ready for business. Maybe a, another, to tighten your belt up. It's this view of active exertion. Peter says, the very first thing he says is, he says, therefore, gird up your loins. He says, therefore, get to work. Set your mind to work. Prepare yourself, strengthen yourself for what's to come. 
So a few weeks ago, I had the chance to go to a, a Lipscomb University every year. It has this thing called Imagine. It's a, it's a big fundraiser, uh, and, and it's awesome. Love the, love the university. And uh, the, uh, so I got a last-minute ticket and was able to go, and uh, the, the guest speaker was Tom Brokaw. You guys know Tom Brokaw? I think I, I, think I have a picture. Maybe some of you remember. Um, he looks much older than that now. Um, in his in his 80s, facing some facing some cancer. So many of us uh, 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 know Tom Brokaw for years and years and years as a as a journalist, as an anchor. And uh, my, I actually took my wife's ticket to this thing, and she was like, "Man, I want to hear Tom Brokaw." I was like, "I don't know what he's going to say." This, but but man, it was it was so good. And so I want to share some some of what Tom Brokaw talked about at, at this Lipscomb event. Uh, and and just randomly, like one of the things he talked to was to journalists and to to the media today. And he said in his day when he was uh, an anchor and worked for the media, he said the only thing we had was trust. He said the only thing we had was trust. He said they either believed what we said or they didn't. And he said our media today has gone completely insane. Right? Because now we don't know who to trust. And he said, and I believe, I believe this about him because he's kind of this feisty old guy now. Like Tom Brokaw said that he'd be, he'd be like sitting in his house in South Dakota and he'd be watching the news, some channel come on, and they would report something that he knows is unsubstantiated or unconfirmed. And Tom said, I'll get on the phone and I'll call the director of that show and get on their case and tell them the only thing we have is, is trust. And so already, like, he had my attention, right? All right, man, this is, this, this is going to be some interesting stuff. And he spent a majority of his time, I mean, he, he's done some, some amazing things. He was, he was in New York on 9-11. He's, you know, there was a relationship with, uh, the, uh, with the Reagans and uh, with um, Gorbachev. You know, like, so he's had this big, long, epic career and seen all of these things in media. But the thing he talked most about was his assignment in Normandy. He said uh, the, the station he worked for had sent him to do the 50th anniversary of the D-Day invasion in Normandy. And he thought, man, this is going to be great. It's going to be interesting. And, and he had done some studying and looked up some facts and that kind of stuff. And he, he got to go to, to, uh, to Normandy and was there at the beaches. And he said while he was there, you know, he thought he was, he was kind of prepared to do this great story about what had happened and it wasn't until he got there and he began to see and meet some of the men who were there that day that a whole new story came out. One of the men he met was, and you can go and show that next picture. These are some of the pictures of the guys. One of the guys he met is named uh, Gordon Larson. Um, Gordon tells this funny story of, of how one day he was complaining about a group of teenagers. Uh, Gordon is in the, on the far right-hand side there. Gordon was complaining about a group of teenagers who, after Halloween, you know, teenagers had just been gotten, kind of, they got kind of rowdy, you know, they were just a little bit out of hand, and Gordon was complaining about it. And, and someone said to Gordon, Gordon, why are you complaining about these teenagers? What were you doing when you were 17? And Gordon said, when I was 17, I was storming the beaches of Guadalcanal. 
You see, Gordon quit high school early. He joined the Marines to become a, a machine gun operator. He participated in some of the heaviest fighting at Guadalcanal in Guam and in Okinawa. In his unit, when they left San Diego, there were 240 men. And when they returned home three years later, only eight men were still alive. When he came home, Gordon joined the, the Army Corps of Engineers, and he spent 35 years operating the like sophisticated control system of the major dams in North and South Dakota. Uh, Lloyd Kilmer was another guy that, that Tom Brokaw met and, and interviewed. Uh, Lloyd is, that's, that's the kind of uh, early years and later years picture of Lloyd up on the top left. Uh, Lloyd's family, like, like many families coming out of the Depression, had lost the farm. Uh, it was a dairy farm. Apparently dairy farming is hard and it's in trouble still today, I think. Um, to avoid bankruptcy, everyone in Lloyd's family worked. At age eight, eight years old, Lloyd sold newspapers, sacked groceries, and ran the projector at the local theater. When he wanted to join the Boy Scouts, uh, uh, that's a whole different story. Um, sorry, silent. Uh, when he wanted to join the Boy Scouts, uh, a county official had to lend him the 50 cents he needed for the admission fee. He didn't wear shoes in the summer. Well, this is less than 100 years ago. He didn't wear shoes in the summer so he could maybe have a decent pair through the winter. And when war broke out, he was working at a bellhop at a local hotel. And although he'd never set foot on an airplane, he knew he wanted to be a pilot. He'd never set foot on an airplane but wanted to be a pilot. And within one year of the day he first set foot on a plane, he was qualified as a pilot for a four-engine bomber, the B-24. He flew numerous combat missions, even flying over the murderous beaches on D-Day. He says a day that will live in his mind and heart forever. Three weeks after D-Day, he was uh, while on a bombing run of a German tank factory his plane was hit, and he was forced to crash land in a potato field. He was captured and spent 10 months in a POW camp where he was placed in solitary confinement. He was interrogated. Finally, he was rescued and returned home. He went to school. He raised a family, worked in real estate, and eventually worked for a savings and loan. And even when his wife got sick later in life, he cared for her all the way up until the time of her death. Broco also told the story of a, a John Lefty Coalfield. Uh, he's in the middle of this group of three. This is a group of guys from uh, the uh, uh, Cambridge. There was a 10 square blocks uh, uh, area in, in, in Cambridge. And so basically in these 10 square blocks, every boy in this neighborhood joined and went. When war broke out, they all joined and they all went together. They didn't have as many casualties as, as some units, and so most returned. When they came back uh, from war, they, they joined the Romeo Club. Do you guys know the Romeo Club? Retired old men eating out. <laughs> Romeo Club. And still to this day, um, yeah. Yeah, R Romeo Club. Um, still to this day, they, they, they continue to meet. 
When Lefty returned, like so many of, uh, of the young men and women, uh, he used the GI Bill and went to school. Lefty actually went to Harvard on the GI Bill. He became a teacher and later a principal. Brokaw sat in on one of the Romeo Club meals, and uh, it, was, it was interesting for him to kind of report their, their feelings on where we're at in the world today. It was interesting to hear him talk about their feelings about things like, like, like road rage or, or sexual allegations. Uh, Lefty said, he said, I was a principal at a school and I hugged every one of my students every single day. But he said, now I don't know if I'd even be able to do that. So they, have, they were curious about the world we live in today and, and, and even said, uh, uh, you know, maybe you've asked some of these questions of, man, like what's changed in our world? What's changed? One of the, one of the statements that they, sh- they shared was that we've been victimized by our affluence. He said, we've been victimized by our affluence and we don't appreciate things because you don't work for them anymore. And all the men around the table kind of nodded their head like some of you have. Still, they had great hope for the kids of today. They see a lot of potential. I share with you these stories for, for a couple of reasons. These men came out of the, the Great Depression. Um, unemployment was like 20%. Uh, family income during this time was about 1300 bucks a year, maybe less than 100 years ago. Many of them had watched their parents lose their, their businesses, their farms, their jobs, their hopes. They were, in, they were in the most desperate place you could imagine. And yet, when war broke out, these young men and women, they left their ranches the assembly lines, they left Wall Street jobs, they even quit school and lied about their age to put on a uniform. And women went to war too. I don't, I don't want to neglect them at all. Not only did women serve in the military, but the, but the rest of women went to work and really the roles of women changed a bunch because during this time. Uh, women went to factories and they drove trucks and they learned ha- how to handle welding torches. These teenagers, mostly, they learned how to drive tanks to pilot planes and jump out of them. They learned how to storm beaches. And when the war was finally over, they came home and went to work. Many of them went immediately to school. They used that GI Bill. Uh, They got married. They had lots and lots and lots of babies. Maybe some of you fall into that category. They rebuilt the economy and rebuilt the country. Tom Brokaw talked about this group of individuals, and uh, you, you can read more stories for yourself. He wrote a book in the 90s called The Greatest Generation. He called this generation the greatest generation that has ever lived because they survived the Depression, they won the war, and built a country. And when I was thinking about that phrase that Peter says, Hey, I want you to gird up your loins. It made me think of them. Men and women who rolled up their sleeves and went to work. And Peter says to his readers, to his audience, to the Christians in this world and ours, he says, 
It's time for us to do the same. C.S. Lewis famously quoted, you can go and put that on the screen. C.S. Lewis said, uh, enemy occupied territory. That is what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. Peter says it's time for us to gird up our loins. If you look back over this week, there's reading guides. I want you to be reading along, challenge you to, to keep reading these texts, and there's so much there to chew on and think about. But in verse 17, Peter says, he will judge you or reward you for what you do. That's important. He doesn't say he will judge you or reward you for what you believe. Did you see that? He says he will judge you or reward you for what you do. And, and, and so to many too many of us say, or, or too many in our world, in our nation, in our culture, say they will support the effort. They're just not a part of it. You know, one of our challenges at Aspen Grove, if, if, if you're a part of this church and connected to this community, we challenge you that twice a year, we want you to have someone sitting in the seat next to you. Someone that maybe has questions about faith or doesn't know what they believe. Is that a, is that a charge, a challenge that you believe in? Or is that a charge, a challenge that you're actually doing? Maybe you're, you, you are saying, well, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'm ready for this whole Christian life. I don't know if I'm ready to, you know, this, this old life was pretty attractive and I was a part of it for a long time. I don't know if I'm ready for this, this whole big thing. And what I would tell you is that First Peter's readers didn't feel ready either. And the teenagers on D-Day, you think they were ready? If you wear the name of Christ and claim his lordship over your life, um, you don't have to enlist. God chose you. Look again at what 1 Peter says. He didn't say you had to enlist in this new life. It says that God has chosen you to be holy. What he says, what he says essentially is God has a draft card with your name on it. He's not waiting for you to enlist. He's already chosen you. So Peter, the very first thing he says is, so, so gird up your loins. I love David's words to Solomon. In First Chronicles, Kind of the reign of David is coming to an end, and, and uh, Solomon is getting ready for, to, to take the handoff, to take the throne, to take leadership. And David is thinking he's going to be the one that builds God's amazing temple. But God says, no, you're not going to be the one. Your son Solomon, your young son Solomon at this time, is going to be the one who builds the temple. And David kind of actually kind of argues with God and says, you know, Solomon's too young. Solomon's not ready. He's not ready for this responsibility. He's not ready for this task. He's not ready to build the temple. And God says, no, it's, it's come for him. It's come for him. 
And so David, in concern for his son, he gets everything ready for the temple. And then he has the, he said these words, and it's, it's amazing words for, for a small church like ours. It's amazing words for Christians. I have these words printed and posted above my desk. It's, these are gird up your loins kind of words. And David, speaking to his son that's not ready for the task that's before him yet, David says to him, be strong and courageous. And what does he say? Do the work. He says, don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God, is with you. How many of you need that message, need that spoken into your heart, into your faith today? Be strong and courageous and do the work. We need Christians who are going to gird up their loins, roll up their sleeves, who, who can think clearly and exercise self-control. We had a family experience last week and we brought kids on stage and we wanted to celebrate the awesome, amazing relationship between parents and kids and remind and encourage parents that you are the one responsible for the faith of your kid. That they will never have a greater teacher or mentor or discipler than you. To be strong and courageous and do the work. Man, we, we showed people how to use the app, and to, here's a God time card and a parent cue. Here are the questions you can ask with your kids. Here are the verses that you can read. Here, here's how you can begin to pray with your kid. They say, well, I didn't sign up for that. Say, You're enlisted. <laughs> You're, you've been drafted, right? You've been drafted. It's time to do the work. Couples, when was the last time you spent time in God's word together on purpose? Be strong and courageous and do the work. These are the simple things. We pray for your neighbors that are struggling, your friends that are, are getting divorced. Are you interceding with the Holy Spirit of God into their lives? Be strong and courageous. Gird up your loins. And do the work. At Aspen Grove, we're committed to this idea of growing followers of Jesus Christ. And, and some of you say, well, I didn't sign up for that. And they say, well, you've been drafted. You've been drafted. Well, I'm not ready. Oh. Be strong and courageous. Do the work. Our challenge, man, and, and, and I know you've heard me say this, is for everyone to be in regular meetings with others around God's word, asking a couple of basic questions of how is God speaking to you? We did this with our teenagers this morning. How's God speaking to you through his word and what are you doing about it? It's time to gird up our loins and do the work. Paul invites these foreigners off the bench and into the game again. The last thing that um, Tom Brokaw shared in, in kind of his, his, his time with us is, uh, is this thing. Uh, any of you know what this is? Maybe if I make this sound, you know what it is. Uh, some call it a clicker or a cricket. Uh, when, uh, 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 man, some of you World War II buffs are going to have to check my, my facts on this. But I, I think it was the 101st Airborne on D-Day, uh, were, were parachuted in past enemy lines. Uh, all, I'm saving Private Ryan, right? Or saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers. You know what I'm talking about? 
anyway, these troops were, were parachuted into enemy territory um, in, in the pitch darkness. They were behind enemy lines, and for a million reasons, they were completely scattered and separated. And, and someone in their infinite wisdom said, hey, hey how are we going to find each other in the dark? And so they passed out buckets and buckets of these things. To, to every soldier, they, they carried one. And the, the thing is that when you are walking through the hedgerows at, in the pitch black of dark and you could see a shape but didn't know if that shape was a friend or an enemy, the, the way it worked was one click is, is kind of like, hey, I'm here. And what you hoped and prayed for was two more clicks. So if you did your one click and nothing came back, that was a sign to start shooting, Right? And so every one of these soldiers in the, in the dark, they're walking around, and, and they're clicking. And I love that Tom Brokaw, he said, after spending so many, much time with these, these soldiers who were there, most of them teenagers, he said, now today he always carries one of these with him. He said, because our, our country, and, and I'll expand that to include especially Christians, we need a... He said, because the, the way this worked is one click says, uh, or, or when, when someone would respond with two clicks, what it meant was, I hear you, I'm coming, let's win this thing together. And I love the sentiment of that. I love uh, Tom Brogo, he, he kind of made a joke. I, I know there's lots in our news and media about immigrants and, and all that kind of stuff, and, and uh he, he said, it's interesting that when those teenagers were in the head roads and they heard the two clicks, they didn't, they didn't pause and wait and go, okay, like, wait, are, are you an immigrant or are you, were you born here? When they heard the two clicks, they didn't say, well, are, are you a, a white guy or a black guy? Because, you know, really, I can only work with. They didn't pause and say, okay, are you, are, are, are you Democrat or, or Tea Party because I, I couldn't, uh, you see, in, in that moment, not, none of that mattered, right? And he said, maybe we've made too much of that matter. And he just said, man, I, I think, uh, and, and like I said, I extend it to Christians. We said our, our, our country needs, needs that unity again. And I think if we are going to gird up our loins and roll up our sleeves, we need to find that again. We need to find that willingness to work together. We need to find that, that cause that brings us together, that cause that, that unites us, that reminds us that we're fighting for something greater than just our individual freedom or comfort or security. Are you with me? So, Peter says, it's time to think clearly, to exercise self-control, roll up your sleeves, to get your, get your head back in the game. It's time to gird up, gird up your loins to join the fight and do the work. What is the work of the kingdom that God has put before you? In just a minute, I'm going to say a prayer and to dismiss you to a time of communion. Maybe you can take that question. 
Take that question with you. What is the work of the kingdom that God has put before you? As you enter into this communion time that, uh, that we're about to ha- have, uh, I just want to remind you of a few more words from, from this Peter, this, this amazing letter of Peter. It's great words to take to, to this space. He says, we have something to look forward to. He says, this is not all she wrote. There is more for us still. And he says, maybe you don't see it, maybe you don't realize it, but a ransom has been paid for your life. A ransom has been paid, and and it was more costly than gold or silver. It was a ransom of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus poured himself out. He emptied himself to save you from this life and usher you into a full life, a life without end. The best life imaginable. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word so compelling and so moving and, and challenging and frustrating and, and inspiring. And so, Father God, how your word is moving and speaking, we believe it's living and active, how your word is moving in, 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 in hearts and minds this morning, Father God, man, don't, don't let it be neglected. Don't let it be cast off or forgotten easily. But God, let it sink deep within us. Let us embrace the, the call and the challenge of Peter the call of your kingdom to go and to make disciples. Let that again be, be the full focus of our, of our life and our attention. And Father God, as we embrace this call, let us also embrace the amazing priceless inheritance that you have placed before us. We have, we have freedom to move and pursue your will and your vision because you have given us this amazing life, the salvation. And so, Father God, if any here has not accepted uh, the price that's been paid for them, Father God, I, I pray that there, was mo- there would be movement there. Maybe they're ready to give their life completely to you. Maybe they've been trying to, to, to do both, live an old life and a new life at the same time. God, create separation. Let us die to the things of our past so we may live into the things that you desire. Father, God bless us as we enter into this space. Man, purify our hearts. Let us, let us move into this time of com- communion with, with, with deep uh, intentionality. We love you, Father. In your son Jesus' name, everyone together says,